<laughs> All right. Well, good morning, everybody, or afternoon, wherever you are and listening today. Uh, I'm your host, Alexander Toth, and welcome to the Deepbox Chatter Golf Podcast. This morning, after some technical difficulties on my end, not being able to find the record button of all things, I'm joined by a wonderful guest. Uh, this guest has some terrific news about the news that they received about a couple weeks ago. He is the general manager of the club at Carlton Woods. I'm joined by Steve Sullivan. Steve, thank you so much for joining me on T-Box Chatter this morning and doing this, of course, well, this morning. Uh, it's my great pleasure to be with you, Alexander. Thank you for the invite. So, I mean, we'll, uh, we'll get right to the news. I mean, uh, it was pretty big. The LPGA, um, you know, they, of course, left their tournament at Mission, uh, Mission Hills or Mission Mission Resort, or I forgot the name of it already. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so apparently that's in the review mirror. But they announced recently that they have a new venue for the first major of the year, which is the Chevron Championship, and it's, of course, golf's first major of the year in general, and they announced the venue being your club, the club at Carlton Woods. So- yeah, and actually, uh, you know, uh, the tournament obviously has gone through several name changes through the years. The Dinosaur is probably the most popular, but obviously most recently it was the ANA Inspiration, and then uh, obviously with COVID and what happened with the airline industry, Chevron was nice enough to step in and, and basically take over as the Chevron championship uh, previously held at Mission Hills Country Club for uh, 51 years. So a longstanding track record for them and a longstanding relationship with the LPGA. And, and one we're honored to kind of take the torch and, and, and now hopefully take it into its next, you know, well, at least five years, uh, and, and maybe beyond that. Yeah, well, of course, you know, and first of all, I want to thank you for bailing me out there a little bit. I had just that total brain freeze on, on Mission Hill, so thank you for uh, <laughs> for helping me out there. appreciate it. Um, well, I, uh, I can uh, certainly understand, as you might uh, assume, for the last 10 months or so, I've pretty much been living, breathing, and eating this entire conversation, so uh, I am very familiar with all of the language right now. <laughs> I love it. So, I mean, Carlton Woods, uh, you know, you're, you're in the Houston area. Uh, I mean, this has to be big for, for people, not only from Chevron Corporation, but just the Houston area itself. Well, uh, you know, obviously major championship anything is significant for an area and uh you know carlton woods sits in a really lovely north part of houston called the woodlands it's about 35 miles north of the woodlands closer to dallas uh or excuse me closer to the uh dallas side of texas and uh you know it's it's uh it's neighboring areas more than more than anything uh, we have a, a large number of people in the Woodlands that commute into Houston for work and vice versa. And the Woodlands is such a golf centric community. Uh, I think the Woodlands is something near about 60,000 residents now. And a, a large percentage of that population does play golf. So this news was uh, kind of percolating for a number of months and speculation as, as uh the, the location, at least moving to the Houston area, was announced. And then there was speculation, obviously, that we were one of the front runners to host this event. And then, um, you know, through, through news articles and things, there was a lot of buzz in the area. Can't, can't say enough about the participation from the township itself. And uh, the Woodlands Township has a tourism component and an entertainment component called Visit the Woodlands. And uh, between the township and visit the woodlands, um, their willingness and assistance through this process, because you've got to have a great club to host a, a tournament like this. Of course. But, you know, you think about parking, shuttling, law enforcement needs, medical assistance, hotels, uh, you know, the, the housing needs for thousands of spectators, hundreds of participants and caddies, you know, thousands of sponsors. It. It starts with a great venue, but it very quickly expands out. And uh, I, I, 
I won't I won't use specific names because I, I, I haven't asked them if that would be okay, but I will say the organizations that visit the Woodlands and the Township of the Woodlands have, have been instrumental and are very excited about the tournament as well. And that's, I think, you know, you strike a, a good point here. That's a, a, a part of tournament golf that, you know, what many people don't realize that organizers or tournament committees have to go through. They, they have to worry about all the logistics side of things. It's not just about, you know, a venue and providing a good venue for the, for the players or, or the accommodations strictly for the players. You have an influx of, of people coming into the area, you, you know. So I mean, that that's a very valid point. Uh, yeah, they expect. Uh, I you know they you know to say expect is a hard word because it's obviously never been held in the woodlands before. It's never been held in the Houston area before. Uh, their last year in uh, California, they had fifty-five thousand spectators over the week which uh, basically starts Monday through, through tournament Sunday. Right. Um, obviously coming to a major market, the expectation is those numbers will be, will be higher. Uh, but you know, that a lot of the challenges around putting this deal together was timing. And, and when I say timing, it, it is very difficult to work out logistics of an event this large because it, it you know, I mean, Big events kind of create their own space in a calendar. And this event typically was held in, uh, you know, late March or the first week of April. Now it's moving towards the tail end of April. So all of the things with TV that had to be worked out, I mean, to, to shoehorn it in there, because the week after this event is the Kentucky Derby, right? And, and all the TV contracts with Formula One racing and, and all the different things that have these TV contracts and then trying to find a space to move a big event that works for everybody's schedule is, is, is hugely challenging. And, and uh, I think that's why it took so long to really figure out and finalize, you know, the host location. I'm sure they would have rather made an announcement, you know, months ago, perhaps even like in uh, March around the actual event at Mission Hills to announce the new date, the new location. But it takes, boy, NBC's schedule. It takes the PGA Tour schedule, Champions Tour, PGA Tour champion schedule, LPGA schedule. And then as it would just so happen, the very first dates that were uh, set aside for this event, which actually kind of put everything into a pause mode, was that the dates TV had available was simultaneous to the uh, Insperity Invitational which just so happens to be a, a, a very significant champions tour event also held at a different facility in the woodlands. So, you know, we were excited about the conversation. We were kind of coming to the end of the conversation. And then when we saw the dates, we were just kind of like, really? <laughs> so then uh, had to go through some significant conversations with PGA tour, PGA tour champions, LPGA, also NBC with, with the TV component being probably the most, most important in that going, we really need to find a new window that works for all of these schedules. And unfortunately the good people in NBC really kind of worked on the schedule and, and, and came up with a, with a great alternative that now works for everybody. You know, and it's sort of kind of funny that the timing just happened to work out that way. I mean, it, it was almost like it was meant to be. I, I, I think, uh, I think uh, you know, there's so many irons in the fire at any one time. You obviously have the LPGA Tour. Uh, you've got the, the uh, tournament coordinator and, and the, the, the operating team that puts it on, which is IMG. You know, and, and, and then on top of that, you've got Chevron. And then you've got the club. And we started conversations, I think, dating back probably to August of 21, um, and every conversation just felt better and better. You know, it started out with the club and IMG, then uh, progressed to IMG, a representative from the LPGA, the club, and a representative from Chevron. But at the time, we didn't know it was Chevron. So this was first name basis stuff. It hadn't right. been announced yet who the new sponsor was. So uh, for lack of a better term, I'll just use the guy's name and say John, but it was 
hello, this this person from the LPGA, the, the, the people from IMG who I knew, and John. And John's from the future sponsor. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was kind of funny. And then progressed through the months, progressed through the visits. Everything started sounding really good. And everybody was, you know, everybody was singing from the same sheet of music. And when I say that, I mean, culturally, um, you know, what they were trying to accomplish with, uh, you know, empowerment of females, not not even equality, but some of that was obviously, you know, equality of golf, uh, empowerment of, of, of females in business, uh, STEM and education of juniors, the promotion of, of girls junior golf. And this is a path that we started at, down about seven years ago as a club when the members bought the club from the developer. And you know, our first move into this was you know, the, the, the old way clubs used to identify teapots, you know, we have the advanced tees and the, the men's tees and the senior tees and the women's tees. Right. And, and now women's tees, tees is absolutely, uh, <laughs> you know, that's right. You, you don't even say it anymore. I mean, it's, it's no, not, you know, however people do it. And I think people have even gotten away from colors so much, you know, because red was always identified as the forward tees, the female tees, the women's Correct. Well, we had a very progressive golf committee at the club back in 2016 that was like, let's take, let's take the names off of this. And we went to a Roman numeral T system, uh, which a, a lot of clubs oh. have done now. And we have a lot of T's here. So we always have five sets. And then because we are a Jack Nicholas signature course, the farthest set is, is the Nicholas T. So that one still remains named. Um, but um so we, we went to a numerical system and then about, uh, gosh, I guess four years ago at the board level, looking at growth of golf and, uh, you know, where, where the sectors were and obviously female golf was, a, was the, one of the fastest growing segments. Junior golf was really amping up, but the involvement of girls in junior golf, but also females being exposed to the game for the first time was the largest sector. And we looked around the, the landscape here in the area, in the woodlands, in Houston, and, and the region, and really saw this was an underserved segment. So we started working with Nicholas Design, Chris Cochran, the designer, uh, mainly. And so we'd really like to design a shorter course, something more friendly. And I ended up having conversation with a few different uh, uh, people that had published articles like on what makes a golf course female friendly. And, you know, you got to understand that the average female, this is, this is the average female, drives the ball 140 to 150 yards. That's, that's all in. That's carry and roll. Yes. And their average eight iron is about 80 yards. So now you're at a 230-yard par four. Well, find me courses throughout the country that have 230-yard par fours, even from their, their former forward tees. So we, we set out on a mission to design a challenging uh, entertaining design at about 3,600 yards. 3,600 previously, yards. Previously, our shortest uh, distance was 5,300 yards. So we got together, we did this, but we didn't, we didn't, we didn't do it in a, in a cosmetic fashion either. We, we, we designed the course, we marked the tee boxes, we built full-scale tee boxes. We didn't just go put yardage markers in fairways or mow out a little flatter in the rough. Right. We built, we built 18 tee boxes, irrigated them properly, uh, drained them properly, all in, cost about seventy-five dollars or $80,000. And then we had this 3,600-yard course. But then with mixing the tees and the former forward tees, we ended up with like a 36, a 4,300, a 5,300. Then you started going to 57, 63, 7, 72. And we, we top out at about 74.20. But the other thing is, you know, like any good initiative, it turns into good culture. Because we did it for one reason, to really be able to serve this affluent female golfer who could, again, enjoy the game. But it ended up being great for our junior uh, golf. And as men aged out, they were able to move forward. As soon as we went to numbers, we had a number of our older guys go from the senior tees which were would be our four T's or our three T's to our four T's. And then when we built the five T's, they went to the five T's. And you hear laughter on the golf course again. And you have people having fun and making birdies and, 
and not only for the reason that they couldn't hit the ball as far anymore. So it's, it's just been awesome. And those initiatives lined up with now what Chevron is doing, you know, equality in, 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 in the game of golf, what they've done for purses. And you look at what it's done now with the KPMG kind of starting the effort, Chevron moving into the effort. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the women's U S open increased their purse with guarantee, you know, 10 million to 11 million and then 12 million. What the British uh, women's British has done, you know, up to 6 million, the CME tour ending now up to, I think seven or 8 million. So this is an awesome moment for female golf. And, and once we knew what everybody was trying to do, it was a natural fit for us. And we were, we were instantly interested and we're really excited to get involved at, at this moment in female golf. You know, and, and I mean, you bring up a good, uh, a good point. Like personally speaking, I'm a huge advocate and supporter of the LPGA. Um, you know, I, I've long said that they don't get the credit or respect that they deserve, you know, from the average, dare I say it, male golfer, um, you know, and the reality is, even though their games can't reflect the, that of the LPGA, the reality is, you know what, the distance of, say, a 25 handicapper relates more to a, you know, an LPGA player versus the guy who just uh, finished playing golf uh, at, uh, at Brookline this past weekend. You know, not to, yeah. not, not to make it, uh, you know, date sensitive, that this, this recording. But, I, I mean, what you've done there, I mean, that just has to create just such a, a fun culture. I mean, and, and, and you nailed it too, because, you know, I've said for a long time that, you know what, grow golf. I mean, that's been a thing that we've heard on social media and everywhere for the last, I, I don't know how many years, but I've always said that to grow golf is, is through not just junior golf, but in particular, it's, it's, the, it's the junior females and female golfers in, in, in general. And I mean, it sounds like the public Carlton Woods has really gone out to, you know, really draw that kind of a golfer in. Yeah, and you know, your, your, your comment about the LPGA, uh, their game is much more relatable to the majority of golfers. Because uh, as a golf fan, I think the last couple of weeks we've been treated to probably some of the best competitive golf on the PGA tour. I can remember, you know, think about the RBC Canadian. Open. Oh, that was the amazing. Back, those three guys on the back nine was a, that was a, that was two hours of highlight reels. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Right. And then, you know, fast forward a, a week and you get to the, to the men's U S open. And I mean, I, I, I don't know that you could have scripted up a much more exciting conclusion. Scheffler in the mix. I mean, right up until the end, you know, he makes that birdie on 15 and you kind of start going, oh boy. And Will Zalatoris. I mean, the guy is unreal, isn't he? I mean, what he's, I, I mean, he, I think he played in like a handful of majors and he's been, num- he, he's come in second on three of them or something. I mean, un- yeah. you know, just, and, and Fitzpatrick, un- unreal, right? I mean, but you know, I can't relate to a 353 yard drive. No, precisely. And, and I can't relate to a 137 yard sandwich. Uh, you know, that that's almost an eight iron for me. Right. And, and, and the average drive on the LPGA is 250 yards. I can relate to that number. Absolutely. And, and, and I start, I start watching them hit approach shots from 150 or 140 or 50 yards and they're hitting an eight iron. I can, I can relate to that shot. The other thing that I can also, is you just, and then you sit there and look how good they are. Oh, especially uh, their short game. I mean, you know what? That's one thing that I say a 25 handicap can't relate to with their game. Right. Because their short games are just so good. Yeah. It's, 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 a. I mean, if you really focus on the female game and you look at what Jennifer Cupcho did at, uh, at, uh, the, the, the Chevron championship this last year at Mission Hills. And I mean, you look at, at the women's open at Pine Needles. The other thing that's really coming on now that probably the, the average golf fan doesn't realize is the LPGA and female golf in general has been really underserved from a television perspective. Grossly so, I, I would say. 
And, you know, a lot of times it's pre-air at eight or nine o'clock at night, or it's on streaming and never made, never gets major network coverage, might be on ESPN plus, might be on golf channel, might get a little bit of coverage here and there, but it's always after hours recorded. And to Chevron's credit, when they were stepping into this, they said, uh, we will do their, their contract was basically an 11 year contract with the LPGA. And, and they stepped in mightily. They said the purse is going to go up and this event will get major network coverage. And not only will it get major network coverage, it will get equivalent coverage to what a male tournament gets. And the important thing for people to understand on that is a lot of times on, on LPGA golf previously, they only had a few TV towers. Maybe it was the last few holes. They might've had a couple roaming guys to go out and catch stories on the golf course. Whereas in the male game, they probably had TV towers on 12 to 14 holes and a couple guys roaming. So all 18 holes could get coverage. Chevron as part of their deal said, we're, we're doing this, but they will get live major network coverage and they will get equivalent TV coverage to men. My and goodness. This is it. I mean, this is the first time that's ever going to happen. Wow. It's amazing. It's awesome. And, and they, you know, uh, they, they deserve a tremendous amount of credit um, for stepping in. And, and yeah, they, they drove the money conversation, right? They said, purses need to go up and, and we're, we're going to take that step. And they kind of, you know, worked in concert with KPMG who stepped up a few years ago and said four and a half million dollars, not nearly equivalent to what the men are playing for, but it's, it was more than any other tournament, almost by double at the time. Yeah, exactly. So for Chevron to step in. And then when Chevron stepped in and said the major network coverage, things really started to roll and change. And think, think about how much things changed from the start of the season this year to the, to the mid or getting to the end point of this season and how much more female golf you see live, how much more uh, you even have seen some major network coverage that was originally probably not, not scheduled. And that is only going to increase. And as you increase the exposure, I think people are really going to realize just how good these 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 women are because they are phenomenal talents. I mean, Lexi Thompson hitting the ball 300 yards. Yeah. The ones who have a shorter game, the accuracy. And I mean, candidly, you know, you look at narrow fairways, you look at wide fairways. These girls are they they do not hit it out of the fairway very often. It's amazing. It's a, it's a massive miss when they miss the, the fairway, actually, because they're, they're, so, they're always there. I mean, they're just right down the middle. And, uh, I mean, you, you know, like we were spoiled with some pretty good golf from the PGA Tour and from the USGA over the last couple of weeks. But that's not to say what's been going on on the LPGA has been dynamite. Like yesterday's leaderboard on Sunday was amazing. You have Brooke Henderson up there. You have, you know, Nellie Cord, Alexi Thompson. Uh, Jennifer Cupcho, um, yeah. you know, and it was a lot of that the week before at the at the Shoprite Classic as well. You know where well, you know it, it's amazing golf. Just because I don't want to forget the point, because you 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 bring up something that's 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 extremely important. It's it's no different now than it was ten or twenty years ago. I, I've had the good fortune the last few years. Uh, our, our friends at Insperity do a tournament down the road and they, they do a, a combined corporate uh, event here called the greats of golf. And they bring in legends of the game. Well, for the last several, they've brought in some of the female legends as well. Oh, and, nice. and we've had uh, Annika Sorenstan uh, who goes by Annika. Don't make that mistake. <laughs> Don't call her Miss Sorenstan. Annika. Woo. <laughs> yes, sounds like it sounds like lesson learned yes it's, yes yes ma'am Annika. <laughs> but 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 julie inkster laura davies pat bradley nancy lopez oh and wow. i'm and and i'm sitting there i i mean i watched annika sorenstan hit a drive a couple approaches and not one of her approaches was farther out than five feet from the hole i was like unbelievable and and i was watching her swing and i'm like it looks exactly like it did 20 years ago. She, she, I mean, I was like, watch. And now, you know, she's getting back out on the competitive circuit, which is awesome. Cause I was watching, you know, she's the only female to ever shoot a 59. 
yes. she looks like she can still do it. Just awesome. But the other thing is, you know, I'm watching Julie Angster hit a drive. And I mean, it's like a, it's like her and Laura Davies are like a female version of Justin Thomas. I mean, they're coming out of their shoes. And, you know, I watched Laura Davis playing with, with, with four, or five, uh, four other people, not one, a water hole. And all of her amateur partners are in the water. So I'm kind of thinking she's going to back off a little and just try to put something up in the fairway. She pounded it like 270 yards oh, wow. came out of her shoes. And I'm like, unbelievable. And then the other thing is, you know, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, you know, won at Brookline, yes. uh, won the amateur and then wins the U S open on the same course. Well, they said the only other person to do that is Jack Nicholas. So pretty good company, right? Well, if you look at the LPGA side, you know, the only other person to do that, Julie Inkster. Yes. Yeah. They told and me I'll tell you what, you talk about somebody else that I think should still be out on tour. I mean, when she hits a ball, I, I'm like, does she, does she have a little microphone built into that? Because it, it, it is unbelievable how, how she goes after a ball. She still it's hits a ball like that, eh? She still hits a ball like that. Unbelievable. I mean, uh, uh, and, and Nancy Lopez, I mean, just class, I only saw her. I, I saw her play two par threes, actually. And, uh, you know, I don't know. One wasn't outside of the shadow of the stick for sure on either one of them. And I'm just like going, I mean, these, these ladies 20 years ago were phenomenal, but yes. they didn't get the coverage. No. So thankfully the girls now are going to get the coverage. And I, I love their, I love, you know, I love listening to LPGA golfers now, you know, they, 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 they you know, kind of their, I guess it's a, I guess it's a public calling, but I, I think it might be a private calling too, but they're like, you know, act like a founder. They really feel like this is their moment in golf. Yes. And 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 the whole golfing world should applaud that. They really should. And, uh, and, so I'm proud to be a part of it. And you know what? Like, I mean, I mean, you know, Molly Marcou uh, uh, Saman. I mean, she she's done an amazing job in her first year as LPGA commissioner. But you know what? The job that Michael Wan did leading up to leading up to all this. I mean, he did a fantastic job, really getting the LPGA. You know, I don't want to say on the map because that would take away from the likes of Annika and and Dame Davies and you know and down the list. But you know what? What he accomplished in his tenure as LPJ commissioner, I mean, it it could never be forgotten. I think you're right, and you know, I mean, you you look at Julie Inkster and Annika, Nancy Lopez, Pat Bradley, Laura Davies. Uh, gosh, I mean, the list goes on. You know, some of the I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody's feeling and say elder statesman because that's not fair. But I mean, Christy Kerr and and uh, you know some of the some of the ladies that are still playing well competitively, but were kind of part of things twenty years ago. It's much like you know the early days with Jack and Arnie and Gary Player working with the PGA and the USGA to to develop the men's game into what it is today, and these 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 women at the forefront, the Annika, the Julie Angsters, that you know, brought a tremendous amount of popularity into the game because of what they were doing in the game of golf, even with their limited exposure, are kind of the forerunners to what's going on now. And your point about Mike Wan and what he did with the LPGA, I mean, a phenomenal personality, a, a, a gentleman through and through. Um, I've had very limited dealings with him previously. You know, the LPGA was actually looking for a uh, home location change while Mike Wan was still involved. And then obviously things worked back uh, out again in Florida. So that's where they remain. But Woodlands was a contender for that. And Carlton Woods was involved in that process and also some other locations in, in Texas. But the other thing that the LPGA now has um, is they have a, fan, a friend in Mike Wan who's now moved over to the USGA. And, you know, if, if you watched his speech on 18 at Pine Needles, um, he does not forget the good time he had at the LPGA. And he, he really started what I think were some really nice things that I had not witnessed before that continued uh, you, you just see there's a, a new uh, wind blowing at the USGA because of him. Because, you know, for the first time, 
at least that I remember, and, and I, I could be wrong, but I remember watching that uh, uh, awards presentation on 18, and the first thing he does, I think the maintenance crew was wearing mint-colored shirts, and the, the first thing he did after he said, you know, thanks everybody for attending and greeting everybody, this was he said, you know, the first thing I need to do is recognize these guys in the mint green shirts for the work they did for the last, you know, really for the last month, getting the course ready for championship conditions and really recognizing the hard work that they put in. I was like, boy, I, I don't ever remember that being done in the past, you know, and then obviously taking the step, you know, a uh, step forward and getting to the volunteers and a very meaningful uh, acknowledgement of the volunteers before he got to the, to the task at hand of, of, of recognizing the champions. But I thought that was very nice. And I, th I think Mike Wan's going to be great for the USGA. And I think his tie to the LPGA is going to make uh, this relationship even stronger over the next several years, which is, which, which is great to see. Well, again, I mean, and I mean, the purse went up for the U.S. Women's Open this year as well. I mean, and you got to you can't help but feel that 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 that's his presence. You you can't help or, or shake that feeling. And not that you want to shake it because you want to, you know, you want to ride that year for for a long time. And again, that, that's not the takeaway from the current commissioner. It's just, no. you know, we have to acknowledge what he's done. And anytime I've seen one of the one of the uh, you know ladies from the LPGA speak about him, you know Brittany Brittany Lincecum is, is one that really comes to mind. Um, you know the things that she said, like these these women, these ladies, they they would go to the ends of the earth for him. You, you know, which I think says a lot about about the man himself. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know the the, the nice thing about. Uh him as, as in my very limited dealings and, and seeing him is he's very thoughtful but you always know what he's thinking also you know I mean you know, he's, he's had to get on TV on a couple pretty tough issues as of late right with the LIV um, and, and, and dealing with that and you know allowing those players to participate in, in, in the US Open um, but you know he, he doesn't just tell you the outcome he walks you through the process and, yes. and, and why. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, fan of his. And I will tell you, you know, my, my now limited dealings with the LPGA and, and Molly uh, and, and, and some of the, the others, I actually, guess I can use names, but you know, the CFO of the LPGA, Kathy Milthorpe, I probably know her better than, than most, uh, to Ricky from competitions, but uh, they are all uh, just, they're, they're nice, classy people. Yeah. They're the kind of people that you want to deal with. And, and it says a lot about the organization. And, and, and it says a lot about an organization that has a leader like Mike Wan that is very contemplative in, in what the future needs. And, and I think they did a great job in naming their new commissioner because I've, like I said, I, I have very limited dealings with Molly. My, my club uh, board and president have had more conversations with her, actually, than I. And uh, they are extremely complimentary about uh, their conversations. And, and she, you know, she, she tells you the truth, whatever it is. You know, it, it might be tough to hear, but, but she'd rather tell you what you need to hear than what you want to hear. So um, I, expect, I expect great things from the LPGA organization. I expect great things from the USGA. Not that not the USGA was was poorly run before. Just a huge fan of Mike Wan, and I just think a, a wind has blown in there. And I, I he obviously has a different style, and I think it's going to be good for the USGA. And and I think it's going to marry those two organizations much more closely together, being the USGA and the LPGA, which probably will bring the LPGA and PGA tour closer together too. Not that there's any problems there. That's been a very good. Uh, relationship too, from the perspective that, that that I have gotten over the last six or so months. Well, I mean, and and to that end, I mean, I would love to see a, a mixed event, not necessarily one of those silly season, you know, Zurich Classic style events, but uh, you know, yeah. just, just like what we just saw over on the DP World Tour, right? You yeah, know? Henrik Stenson and Annika got together and put together that that event, and. Uh, what a what a show that was! It was. Right? I mean, uh, what 
21 under wins. A female ends up winning the event yes. uh, in, in very competitive style. And I think she shot what? Six or seven under par the last day? Yeah. To win? She won going away. I mean, and gosh, I mean, they're, they're true. You know, a, a, a final round highlight reel. I mean, it, I, I don't know. You know, I forget some of the approach shots she was hitting in, but it wasn't like they were sand wedges. I mean, there were nines, eights, sevens yes. to inside three feet. I mean, you, you, you know, you, you saw somebody that was truly in control of their game and absolutely executing the shot that was in her mind. And any, anytime you get to witness that, it's very exciting. And uh, that was, that was an awesome tournament. Henrik Stenson ended up doing, doing quite well in that event too. And (laughs) think about all his responsibilities with the Ryder cup. And he's been playing some awfully competitive golf as of late. And quietly too. He's quietly gone about his business where you don't even really uh, know he's out there. You're, you're absolutely right. You know, and, and I mean, the performance, you know, and unfortunately I forgot her name, uh, uh, Lynn, um, I can't remember what her name, what her name was. I can't believe this. I'm drawing blanks today, but uh, I mean, that was as surgical as it gets the display that she put on. I mean, there's no other word for it. I mean, I mean, yeah. Okay. Dominant. That that's a good word too, but, but it, it, yeah. it, it was surgical, you know, and you know, the one, like before we totally leave the U.S. Open and Mike Wan, I just want to say that, you know, yesterday for him to come on and address the issues with, uh, with, uh, the, with the t- uh, television coverage. I mean, that, I mean, again, that speaks a lot to, to who he is as a, as a man and, and I think his legacy moving forward, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it's just, it, you know, you'd go to battle for him. You know, he's the kind of guy where if he was a, an officer or something in the uh, in the military, you you'd fight for him. Yeah, well, I I, I think I've I've never you know he he never walks away from a conversation that needs to happen, and I don't know you know I mean as a as a fan of golf, um, it you know you can kind of go either way. Does that need to be addressed? Does that not need to be addressed? But the fact that there was questions in some people's mind, you know, he's very intuitive from that perspective going, Hey, if some of our fan base is questioning things right now, then we, we need to, at least, we need to at least address it. And out he comes and, and he does that. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, look, you know, every, every, every telecast has advertisers, right. And they and have to, the, these, 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 these TV contracts that, you know, NBC, CBS, that, that, that they sign are many millions of dollars. I don't know. They could even be hundreds of millions of dollars, I'm, but it's a lot of money. And yes. they, they buy those rights because they feel like they can sell some sponsorships and some advertising. And that advertising has to, has to be done because the people paying for the advertising want to see their name or slogan or whatever. And I thought they did a great job, you know, putting doing the side by side coverage. Yeah, the, uh, the the playing through, I think it was wasn't playing it? through. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know, and I I, I think uh, yeah, I mean, there was a scoreboard miscue on one one thing, and you know, I, at the end of the day, I think everybody was trying really hard to represent a game that's very complicated to to televise. I mean, there's no breaks in golf, right? Well, I mean, and you know, once once you tee off it they were teeing off at whatever time, 8, 8, 8 a.m. Eastern until the time the last person's off the course doesn't stop. There's no, you know, there's, there's, there's no inning change. Yeah. There's no there's, TV there's, timeout. There's no first down. There's no, there's no break. So to be able to capture stories on a, on a moving target for six or eight straight hours, I think they did a great job. And, and uh, it's golf is a challenging game to cover. You know what? I mean, I mean, look at the average acreage of a, of a golf course. You know, you have to have, uh, you know, camera. You got to run the cables. I mean, if, if, if people haven't been to an actual venue while there's tournament going on to see all this stuff going, going on, they should. Because, you know what, maybe then they'll finally get an understanding of what it really takes to, to air one of these tournaments. You know, yeah. it's, it's more than a guy walking around or, or a girl walking around with a, 
with a with a cell phone and you take oh, a yes. video, you know, it's it's so much more than that. I mean, you know, which is so I, I, forget, I, I heard a number once of you know the the miles of cables that are run uh, to cover a event, and it's it's it might be a thousand mm. of miles of cable to cover an event, and you know, the amount of semi trailers that they bring in with highly technical equipment. I mean, I think I heard at the U.S. Open there was seventy five semi trailers uh, pulled in to provide just TV network coverage. So that's you know the radio, the TV podcasts uh streaming it's 75 semis and all the support people and all the cabling and i mean it's it is uh it's a big it's a big task and uh boy you know i mean they they do they do a great job week in and week out uh you know i i think i heard a number to to televise a corn ferry tour event cost about a million dollars in setup for the for the for the for for, a, for a television coverage, and that's only for like three or four hours of coverage. Yeah, they don't really go to something like a U.S. Open that has what I mean. God, it had it twelve hours of coverage a day yeah. for, for four straight days. So you, you can only imagine the expense. Oh, it, it's astronomical. You can't even you can't even imagine what that would be. Right. You know. So I mean, now of course you're the uh, general manager at Carlton Woods. Um, so not talking about Carlton Woods or the club at Carlton Woods, you know, I'd be totally remiss if we didn't discuss your venue there, your, your golf property. Um, so you're the general manager there. So what can you tell us about the club at Carlton Woods? Um, I've, I've been in the private club industry for about 30, oh gosh, almost 33 years now. And, uh, I can tell you, you know, the first time I drove in, I, I found myself going, wow. And, and I haven't lost that feeling now in seven years driving in. And uh, I used to work in, in the corporate side of golf for, for some of the management ownership companies. And uh, I've, I've probably worked with no less than directly 100 clubs in my career. And uh, been on the member equity side now for, this is my second member equity club. I've Spend time at Country Club of Landfall in Wilmington, North Carolina, which was a great spot. But uh, this is a place that it, you you knew it was destined for greatness. And uh, through the years, working with USGA, PGA, LPGA, um, you know this club hosted the 2014 Junior USGA Junior Am, or uh, Will Zalatoris won actually. And uh, so uh, this this club had kind of a pyramid set up of its aspiration towards championship golf. We did the 2007 men's and women's uh, state championships. We had two courses, did them on, on either course, one on the Foggia, one on the Nicholas. We've hosted the Southern AM and uh, other uh, state championships leading up to the junior amateur championship. And at that time, the USGA, uh, I guess, hosted about four, what they considered 14 major championships in a year. And the club rated as the number one venue of any uh, championship that year. And that's, that's, that looks at the whole picture. That looks at, you know, clubhouse operations, course operations, but really community and how the, how, how the staff leans into making sure it's successful. So we're very proud of that. And once we kind of reach the top of that pyramid, we reset to what's what's next. And, you know, we started thinking uh, U.S. Amateur would be a, a nice event for the club to do. Uh, and then obviously we didn't really want to get into a, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, a regular tour event. We didn't want to do a regular stop on the PGA or the LPGA or the PGA Tour champion. We, we only wanted to do a major. And the club has a heart for amateur golf. Now we've, we've done the Carlton Woods Invitational now for 15 years, which is one of the, the best amateur championships uh, invitationals on the World Amateur Golf uh, Ranking Tour each year. Wow. We've hosted an AJGA event for 15 years. 
We do a lot of collegiate things with the NCAA. We hosted the 2021 Women's Big 12 Championship, and we're also scheduled to do the 2024, which interestingly will be the week in advance of the Chevron Championship. Oh, that's so a we think that's going to be super cool for them to be able to come play on a on a major venue with the sky boxes set up, and I mean they'll be playing uh, the exact course and experience that the the LPGA ladies will have. But the other thing, how great is that going to be for the parents and fans that are watching to be able to go to sit in those sky boxes That's and watch wild. the championship occur. But you know, the, I think the great thing about Carlton Woods is we're a 36 hole facility. We have a Jack Nicklaus signature course. We have a Fazio championship course. They're both amazing. As far as a golf pedigree in, in the Houston area, the region, um, we, uh, we, we are, we, we are that place. If you're a, if you're a, if you're a good golfer or you aspire to be a good golfer or play at a important place, this, this is that place. And, uh, we're very proud of it. The members are very proud of it. Um, this club is recognized as a platinum club of America. You have some properties in Ontario that also are in the uh, platinum clubs of the world designation, but you know, uh, Platinum Clubs is a, it's a, it's not a destination. It's a pursuit. Um, you, you stay a Platinum Club because every day you challenge yourself to be the best that you can be. We also happen to be a Distinguished Club of America, and we were recently awarded the elite status a couple of years ago. So th this is a place that is always in pursuit of getting better and always in pursuit of excellence. And I think, um, the partnership between Visit the Woodlands, the Township, Yelp, GA, IMG, Chevron for sure. We are going to put on a show that uh, people are going to remember. And just to speak a little bit about the course specifically, this is going to be contested on Jack Nicholas signature course. Anybody who knows Jack Nicholas as a designer knows that he's kind of a second shot designer. Um, ironically, this course Five holes are extremely demanding driving holes. All 18 are extremely demanding approach shots. Oh. The nice thing about uh, this is if somebody can play their way into contention on the front nine on the last day, you could shoot a 30 on the front nine. But if you're in pursuit of 30 and you are not playing very precisely, you can easily get a 50. Oh, it's one of those courses. It's water, <laughs> um, challenging approaches. But the nice thing is it, we've seen it in, in competitive golf out here. We've seen a 30 on the front nine. We've also seen a 30 on the back nine. Um, but, again, you know, the greens are all – they. every shot on this course calls for a particular shape, right to left, left to right, straight ball, every approach, same way. But the greens, if if – for instance, if there's a pin on the front left and you miss it to the right, you might be in the water. You might be in a bunker. If it's a back left pin, or excuse me, a back right pin, and you miss it to the left, you're in a bunker or water or in a, in a tough rollout area. So you don't have to hit the shot that's called for, but you have to execute the shot that you're trying to hit. And if you do that at a very high level, uh, I think this is going to end up being one of the probably set itself up for probably one of the best shootout last nine holes of any event. We have a par five finishing hole on the 18th hole. If you're within two going into the last hole, you have a chance. And that's, that's going to be an extremely exciting finish because you can go for it in two, but if you go for it in two and don't execute, execute exactly what you're trying to accomplish, you're laying four. And now a five or a six is in play very right. easily. So right at the end, you can shoot your way out of it. And we, we happen to have a, a, a member here that was the highest ranking amateur senior player in the country, I guess uh, two years ago now. And he will tell you that this course made him better. Playing our courses makes him better. And it really makes you play one shot at a time and within yourself. Because the more you play this course, the more it gets in your head. Because all of a sudden you're playing the ninth hole. And if you start worrying about, oh, my God, I got to hit that drive on 10 instead of executing the shot on nine, it, it, that's, how you, that's how the game gets away from you. 
it's small. Just to give you kind of a forecast, I mean, you got to hit the drive on 10. The approach is okay. 11 is probably the most forgiving hole on the backside. You have a challenging par three and 12. 13, you can get an eagle, but if you go for an eagle and mess up, you're probably heading for a double. Uh, 14 has the probably most difficult approach shot on the course. 15 is just a challenging hole, water along the side, angular green over water. An error there can make or miss. It, 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 it'll be the first, 15 will be the first defining moment of the championship. 16 is the hardest green to putt on the entire course. If you're on the wrong side of the hole, on a short side or a long side or right or left of the pin, if you're on the wrong plateau, it's absolutely the most treacherous putt you're going to face. Very easy to three putt if you don't hit the proper approach. 17 is a very challenging par three. There's a safe bailout shot to the front right, but if you go for a pin in the back left, water, sand, native area, just all the bad words in golf. <laughs> then you get to 18, and it's par five. And, it, you know, the, the whole course depends on setup. It's, it's, it's as I've told the LPGA, I was like, you want your champion to shoot plus two? You can set that up here. If you want your champion to shoot minus 10, you can set that up here. You, you do what, whatever you want to do. All that we care about is you set it up so it doesn't favor one particular style. I don't, I don't, want, right. I don't want it to favor the bomber, and I don't want it to favor the tactician or the precision player. I want it to identify the best golf. And, and that's, why, that's why Carlton Woods really was awarded this championship because champions, major championship venues are selected. You know, I mean, most tour events or tournaments go to an area to promote an area or promote a company. You know, they, right. the tournament is around a, a company or an area. Majors are supposed to determine the best player. And I think to, to accomplish that, they, they, they picked, you know, one of the few venues in the area that can actually do that is uh, we, we can identify who is in control of their game to the highest level uh, that week. And I think that's going to be extremely exciting. That, I mean, I, I mean, you have me all pumped up for it. We're, we're how many months away from, from the Chevron being played? I mean, you have me just riled up here. Um, it's going to be an awesome championship. I, I think it'll be one for the books. Um, it's going to be exciting. It, you know, it's going to be a lot like what you saw at Brookline is going into that back nine. You, you know, in, in our last invitational, we had a person uh, shoot five under. Uh, on the back nine that score is out there for anybody to, that is in control of their game going into the back nine now this was on a day that the next nearest competitor shot even par on that same back nine that's how that's how well he was playing but he actually not only played his way back into contention but he ended up winning the event by one stroke because of that five underscore on the back nine. Unreal. So That's going into this event, nobody is out of it going into the back nine. And nobody is out of it within two strokes going into 18. And I think that's going to be – I think that's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome theater. It's going to be awesome television. Uh, and I can't wait to see it. You know, um, you know, shortly after – and I know, we're, you know, we're getting uh, short on time here. Uh, you know, of course, like I mentioned, <laughs> you know, you're a busy guy and I appreciate all this. Um, you know, when I found out about the Chevron Championship and Carlton Woods being selected as the venue, the first thing I did was I went to the website and I started looking at, uh, at, at different pictures and whatnot of, of the golf course just to get a feel. Now, I think it was on the Nicholas uh, Sinister course. There's one particular hole there and just looking at it for whatever reason, it gave me an Augusta feel. Um, like, and I think it might be number five. Mm -hmm. is, it, is it maybe number five that sort of has a. Yeah, um, you will get it's a astute observation because actually the first time I got to, to drive the Nicholas course when I came to the club, I had the same feeling. Um, I would tell you that. Uh, Three, four, and five on the Nicholas course is kind of our version of Amen Corner. Oh. And when Jack Nicholas designs a course, you know, he gives a nod to kind of some of his favorite courses 
that he's played. He tries to give him an Augusta feel, a St. Andrews feel. You know, and he'll he'll kind of tell you in his thought processes as he's designing this this shot should play kind of like the shot at fill in the blank. Tell you somewhere else that you really get that sense is ten and eleven. You yeah. get a very august you, the pine trees and and the somewhat transparent view uh, through a natural area to a a bordering hole, and then also on uh, thirteen and fourteen, another area where you you get this real Augusta air. Now this 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 course has a natural component to it. It has a very Parkland style. Uh, feel to it um and amongst those two things it's just a very formal traditional it's 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 all right in front of you there's there's no there's no i want to say mystery to what you have to accomplish right it's all right in front of you you just have to execute and if you you on every single shot you could hit a left to right a right to left straight ball a fade a draw you can hit any shot you want on any hole on this golf course on, on any shot, drive, approach, anywhere. You just better do it to a high level. <laughs> Amazing. Oh. It, it's an awesome golf course. Oh. I, I'm, pro I'm sure I'm biased, but I've been around a lot of the Jack Nicklaus signature courses. And, and I would tell you, I, I, I think it's just one of his best. And it's... It, as far as if, if you're looking for just a traditional feel where you can kind of go get lost on a golf course and almost feel the history of the game, get India. This is a course where you'll just be standing out and about to hit an approach shot. And you'll just find yourself going, you just feel it all of a sudden. And, and that's, that's what this course does. To you. you know what? That's my kind of golf course. Cause I love being transcended somewhere. You know what? I mean, happens here at home too you know like i can put on a certain piece of clothing and it's like okay well i feel like i'm i'm coastal you know yep, like right. you know i mean and just look at the pictures in behind you i think what really um amazes me is the geography and topography of, of the golf course itself i mean it, you know maybe it's uh you know ignorance on my part not truly knowing the geography of the houston area but i mean i look at that and that's not what I would think. I mean, it, yeah, it's interesting. We actually do have some terrain that we, we deal with here. And, uh, you know, like most coastal-ish communities, tends to flatten out the closer to the water you get. So we're, we're a very kind of flat region. But uh, the way it rolls around here, we probably, from the, from the low point to the high point, we probably have about 60 feet a very slow rolling elevation uh, to the point where you actually have a spot on the course where you actually have a pretty nice vista view of ponds and the holes in front of you. Uh, you also have some lows, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those courses that can get unnerving because there's, there's, there's some shots where the tee's elevated looking down on a green. There's other shots where the green's just elevated enough that you can't see the bottom of the flag stick, which is, just very unnerving for golfers when they can't see the bottom of the flag stick. And it just, for, for the Houston area, it's just a beautiful piece of property that, that rolls through. And that's, you know, a, a Nicholas signature property. This was, this was obviously built originally by the Woodlands development, then uh, owned by Howard Hughes before the members purchased the club in 2015. Did you say Howard Hughes? As in, Howard Hughes. Yeah. As in Howard Hughes Development Hughes. Corporation. Yeah. Really? Yep. Wow. That's, that's why there's, there's still a commercial uh, land developer and commercial uh, development uh, company. And that's, that's uh, very, very big in, in this, in this area, wow, uh, probably wild. Texas and, and pro probably even outside of Texas, but yeah, so they, they purchased the club and the assets of, of the Woodlands from Woodlands development company. And then the members bought the club from Howard Hughes, who still has a large presence in this area commercially, but the members bought the club in 2015. And, you know, the, the, the contract that is struck when you're doing a the difference between a Jack Nicholas signature course and a Nicholas, a Nicholas design course is in a signature course, the course is designed first. So if it's going to be in a residential area, you have to figure out the routing of the streets and the houses 
after the layout of the course. Right. The other thing is there are setback requirements that are much more uh, grandiose than uh, if it was a Nicholas design course or even another designer. In some cases, I think from lot to lot, it has to be at least 600 feet, which that may not sound that big, but that that's a that is a that's a long way. The nice thing here is it was a great partnership with Mr. Nicholas because uh, there is, I'm trying to think, there is no hole on our course that has houses on more than one side. So that's how you get that natural and parkland feel because it's, it's very unencumbered by real estate. It's kind of in, it, it's in its own little bubble area and it just wraps within itself and you kind of have homes on the exterior of the bubble. So it's uh, it's it's very unique, very unique. Now, how many members do you have at, at the Club of Carlton Woods? We have uh, a total of about 760 memberships. Of that, we stay around 650 golfing memberships. <laughs> Perfect. And one last question before uh, you know, I let you go, because, you know, again, you know, you're a busy man. Um, if anyone wants to look up information on the club at Carlton Woods, uh, they have social media channels or a website that they can go and look at. Yeah, uh, you can look up, you know, if you just Google search the club at Carlton Woods, uh, will pop up. And there's, there's some nice information uh, available to the public on our webpage. Uh, we're also on Facebook and uh, Twitter, and you'll see things pop up to the club. As, as you might uh, assume as a as a member of country club at a, at a, at a high affluent level, you'll see just a lot of special events going on at the club, um, whether that be family events like winter carnivals and spooktaculars and uh, holiday dinner functions and things like that, but also golf. You know, we, we, we reserve ourselves to a very few member of, of events each year. And uh, we have some good longstanding partnerships uh, although the name sometimes brings some mixed feelings right now, you know, Phil Mickelson was on the golf channel earlier this, uh, this year, he was out at the club with a KPMG event where he got a, a hole in one on one of our uh, par threes. And, uh, that kind of sucked all the oxygen out of the, the golfing world. This was, this was before all the recent, uh, uh the recent chatter, thankfully. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and that's a whole Pandora's box that we will not open here today. Yeah, I, I, I like to stay out of the politics of golf and stay on the, the attributes of it. <laughs> you and I both. Because it's a great game, right? I mean, it's um, it's it's everything you, you know, if, if you play the game the way it's intended and you, you treat it with respect the way it's intended, I mean, there's just not a lot of places where you can call penalties on yourself and it's it's up to you to, to, to post an honest score at the end of the day and yeah. shake hands and the honor of allowing the, the, the person out to, to, to go first and admiring somebody that's in control of their game while you try to to, to do battle with your own and uh, it's 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 a great game it's unlike anything and, and it's unlike any other game I know <laughs> you know what and I think that's a uh, going to be a pretty great way to end. Uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing the Chevron Championship and a whole bunch of new, you know, hopefully a new tradition happen like we always had all those years with Poppy's Pond over at Mission Hills. Um, so, Steve Salzman, I just want to thank you so much for for joining me today on T Box Chatter. Uh, it was this was a fun conversation, and I can't thank you enough. So, thank you very much. Yeah, it's been my great pleasure. It's nice spending a little bit of time with you. Yeah, thank you. So um, everyone, please check out the Club at Carlton Woods and the Chevron Championship, which is the first major of the year. And of course, it's put on by the LPGA. So everyone, stay safe out there. Take care. And we'll see you on the next tee. And that's it. <laughs>